listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Today's scripture reading is found in Psalm chapter 131. Please stand as I read today's lesson. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, good morning. Thank you, Carolyn. Love hearing that southern bell of a voice of yours. She and I are always going back and forth in, in a heated debate on how to pronounce certain words, she being from the south and me being from the northeast. Um, obviously, we know who, who's usually right. It's her. <laughs> As an elderly man lay dying in his bed, death's agony was suddenly pushed aside. As he smelled the aroma of his favorite homemade chocolate chip cookies wafting up the stairs, gathering his remaining strength, he lifted himself from his bed. And leaning against the wall, he slowly made his way out of the bedroom and with intense concentration supported himself down the stairs gripping the railing with both hands. And in labored breath, he leaned against the doorframe, gazing wide-eyed into the kitchen. There, spread upon the newspapers on the kitchen table, were literally hundreds, hundreds of his favorite chocolate chip cookies. Was it heaven? Or was it one final act of heroic love from his devoted wife, seeing to it that he left this world a happy man? Mustering one great final effort, he threw himself towards the table, landing on his knees, and in a rumpled posture, one hand on the edge of the table, the aged and withering, hand quivering, made its way to a cookie near the edge of the table. And feeling the warm, soft dough actually made the pain of his bones subside for just a moment. His parched lips parted. The wondrous taste of cookies was already in his mouth, seemingly bringing him back to life. He reached for another cookie. What then? What was this sudden stinging that caused his hand to recoil? He looked to see his wife, still holding a spatula she had just used to smack his hand. Stay out of those cookies, she said. They're for your funeral. Boy, do I love cookies. <laughs> I love them so much. My kids refer to me in our house, outside of our house, as the cookie monster. I've been known to eat boxes, and I mean boxes, of cookies on my own. Last Sojourn Christmas party, I had 10 cookies. 10 in one sitting. Okay? One sitting. We're not talking about those little, these little like ginger snap cookies. We're talking about big snowmen 
cookies, all different shapes and sizes, all different types and flavors. I kept looking at my wife. I kept looking at everyone else. I'm like, what do you think? Should I have another one? Five. Should I have another one? Six. Should I have another one? Seven, eight, nine, ten. Boom. Eating cookies, it brings me comfort. They are, without a doubt, my happy place. When I'm stressed out, when I'm stressed out, I tend to go for a cookie. Okay, I I go for two cookies. I go for three cookies every time I'm stressed. Last Saturday night, I ate four cookies in one sitting. (laughs) Most of the time when I get stressed or anxious about something, I'll reach for a cookie, and as I'm eating it, or shortly thereafter, I remind myself every single time that cookies can make me feel good in the moment. But it's God that I must be seeking, and it's God that I must be craving, and it's God that I must be reaching for to calm and quiet my soul. This morning, we're going to be exploring Psalm 131, as it was just read to us by Carolyn. And Psalm 131 is a part of the Songs of Ascent. As we learned last week, the Songs of Ascent are a unique group of psalms, specifically 120 through 134. Now, they're a part of our summer series entitled Songs of Sojourning. Remember that a sojourner is a person who resides temporarily in a place. So those of us who are in Christ are all sojourners, as this place is not our home, as we will only be here for a temporary time until we meet Jesus face to face. Now, these songs have also been referred to as pilgrim songs. The pilgrim Israelites sang them as they traveled from their homes all over the land and ascended up to Mount Zion in Jerusalem to the three required festivals annually. I think it's always funny when I hear the word pilgrim because in Western society, if you're like me, you think of an individual wearing an all-black outfit, eating turkey with a giant buckle on their forehead. However, pilgrim is actually a person who journeys to a sacred place for a religious, re- for a religious reason, hence pilgrim songs. As we talked about last week, the city of Jerusalem is situated upon a high hill surrounded by mountains. So trips to the holy city involved a ton of vertical walking. It wasn't an easy journey. But during this journey, these songs were sung in unity and in ongoing repetition. The song was sung over and over again on the way to the temple. Now we don't know why David wrote Psalm 131, as theologians have debated over a few reasons. But God's people recited and rehearsed this over and over for years. It was a common song for them to sing. And this song was common to God's people then as it is now. So Psalm 131 focuses in on a few things that we're going to explore together this morning. See, David does a brilliant job in highlighting his humility and his dependency in the Lord. Mainly, he places his trust in the Lord, surrendering his pride, which leads him to peace and contentment. A contentment that can only be found in and through God. And lastly, a call in the a call in the Lord at all. A call to the Lord at all times. So as we dig deep and open God's word this morning, let us first go to the Lord and pray for the preaching of his word this morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, open our ears. O Lord, to hear your word and to know your voice. 
Speak to our hearts and strengthen our wills that, may, that we may serve you today, now, and always. And things, these things we say in Jesus' name, amen. So starting with point one, turning from pride to humility. Now David writes in verse one, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. At first glance, this can look like David is boasting. It reads as a prideful statement. It's almost like he's boasting in his humility, which isn't humble at all. However, that's not at all what he's saying here in this verse. He's actually confessing to the Lord that he is not in control. You see, he's turning away from his pride and focusing on his humbled heart. He writes, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. You see, when the heart is lifted up, it shows that the person is proud, opposite of what David is saying here. Here, David is proclaiming the extravagant, utter submission to the Lord. He is setting pride aside and seeking humility and accepting the grace that the Lord has given to him. He also says that my eyes are not raised too high. You see, when the, when the eyes are raised too high, they become what is known as, as, as haughty. In other words, they become arrogant or filled with pride. And by seeking the Lord and setting aside pride, David here is saying that he is setting his ego to the side. He's making himself less important and making God the most important being and elevating God in his most rightful place. Verse 1 goes on, goes on to say that I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Here David is doing something that we all should do. He's casting away individual praise and glory and is accepting what God has ordained him to do. And he's showing humility. Jesus would demonstrate the greatest act of humility long after David, long after David was gone. We see this in Philippians 2. We see Christ's example of humility as explained to the church of Philippi through Paul. And he writes, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, David is focusing on what will glorify the Lord, him being humble. Not of what the world would suggest, him to be self-promoting and seeking man's approval. Church, we need to ask ourselves, where in your life are you seeking man's approval over God's? If we are to be humble, are you praying that the Lord humbles you? That's a, that's a tough question to, to ask yourselves. That's a tough prayer to pray. 
I think it's a tough one because we're afraid of the control that we might have to relinquish. I can't tell you how many times I've actually stood up on this stage behind that curtain and prayed to the Lord that he would humble me. And every single time I was afraid to do so. Every single time, because that is a hard prayer to pray. Because for me, it's hard to give up control. It's that more of him, less of me mentality. You see, verse 1 is a beautiful picture of how David has recognized that God is in control and that he is not. He is confessing he is not in control, which leads him to verse 2 and our second point. Trusting in the Lord, which brings contentment. See, David writes, But I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. See, David has this calmness because he is, he is given control up to the Lord, which, has bring, which brings him contentment. Like a child in the presence of its mother, we too can have peace and rest in the Lord. Now, th- now think about what it was like when you were a child. I know that sounds funny to say. So if you have a child, or if you've babysat somebody that has a child, think about the fear that falls upon a child when they wake up in their bedroom in the middle of the night after, the, after they've had a nightmare. The fear of anxiety that they're filled with, that they're going through. The feeling of loneliness. Crying out to be comforted. And when a child is finally embraced and rescued by their mother, the sense of release, the sense of relief and calmness that overcomes them, knowing that they are safe and they don't have to worry about a thing because they know in that moment their mother has control and has shouldered their fear and has shouldered their anxiety. The child then is at peace. The child is content. The child is free. As I was writing this this week, my, my baby didn't sleep very well. And my wife reminded me every, every night around 2 in the morning or 3 in the morning or 4 in the morning, boy, this is a great illustration for your sermon. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm, I'm not the child's mother. Maybe you should go in there. And, no. But we took turns and hope our child was at peace when we comforted her. And her anxieties were lifted. And the second, the second we opened the door, she threw her arms out. The second, the second she saw us, she threw her arms out. The second she laid against our chests, she fell asleep. Had a sigh of relief. You see, David was turning away from pride and seeking humility. He trusted in the Lord, and the Lord brought him contentment. His soul was calmed and quieted, and he was at peace like the child with its mother, like Hope. My child's name is Hope. (laughs) Now these sojourners on their journey to the temple may have had some anxiety. They were probably anxious about what was going to happen in the moment or the next day, or may have had fears about the future, fears about that journey, the effects of being in a broken world, similar to what we face today. They were going to the temple to worship in the presence of the Lord and had to endure this long and difficult journey. 
by singing, by singing this psalm and repeating it over and over again, it gave them peace. It gave them peace because it reminded them that God was in control during their journey. God was in control before the journey had begun and long after the journey would be completed. And by seeking God and focusing on who he is and his promises, they were content. I think we need to remember that we too are sojourners. We may not be traveling to the temple, but each of us are on a journey. What does this journey look like for you? What worries and fears do you have in your life that you haven't given up to the Lord? I can only imagine, I can only imagine the anxiety that these sojourners had on this journey, the anxieties that they were facing, similar to the same anxiety that David was facing when he was being hunted by Saul. And I could only imagine the journey that some of you may be on dealing with some of your own set of circumstances. I myself tend to deal with control. I have a hard time giving up control. I have a really hard time giving up control. You can ask any of my friends. You can ask my wife. You can ask me. First, what's your hardest thing to give up? Control. And it leads to anxiety. And anxiety, anxiety is, is no joke. It is no joke. It can rob us of peace. It can rob us of rest, and it can rob us of contentment. The same contentment that we seek in and through the Lord. Man, it's crazy. In Western society alone, anxiety is absolutely rampant. Let me read a statistic to you. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S. The most common mental illness in the U.S. affecting 40 million adults in the United States, 18 or older. That's over 18 percent, 18.1, 18% of the population every year. People with anxiety disorder are three to five times more likely to go to the doctor and six times more likely to be hospitalized for psychiatric disorders than those who do not suffer from anxiety disorders. Some of the factors that can cause anxiety are stress at work or stress from school stress from a personal relationship such as a marriage or an engagement or a sibling rivalry or a parent-to-child relationship. You can get anxiety from financial stress or an emotional trauma such such as the death of a loved one. And that's just to name a few. They can also develop from a complex set of risk factors including genetics, brain chemistry, personality, and then the life events such as what we just discussed. But hear me when I say this. Yes, genetic and brain chemistry can absolutely, they can absolutely cause forms of anxiety. I'm not negating this fact. I will say, though, that it's glaring to me that the secular world has neglected to focus on a point that I believe is the main root of anxiety— And it's this. I think that sometimes when we aren't seeking humility and we're trapped in our own prideful ways, that God allows us, he allows me, to have anxiety. 
I also, I also think that it doesn't need to just be pride. It can be any unrepentant sin that leads us to focus on ourselves being the masters of our own universe rather than focusing on, on the one true creator and sustainer of life, which is God. See, when we don't turn to God and relinquish all control to him, then we're trying to control every single outcome in our lives, which sets us up to fail, it exposes our sin, and he then allows moments of anxiety to occur. See, we want to be the gods of our own lives. We want to have full knowledge of everything, but only God can. And when we don't have full control or refuse to accept the fact that we haven't been given full knowledge over every detail in life, it can either lead us to worship or it can lead us to seek answers in a prideful manner, which then leads us to anxiety. I mean, what would it look like for us to trust in God instead of our own abilities? What would it look like to have that childlike faith which brings comfort and peace? We don't become with, when we, when we don't become content with God's presence, we're not content with God. Then we are turning from God and we're letting pride set in. Sometimes anxiety can manifest itself physically. Other times it can attack us in a mental way. It can have us overthinking little details in life, just thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking. Regardless of how anxiety can affect you personally, you know what? It's it's hard. It is really hard. It can bring you to your knees. It is hard. I know exactly what it's like. I've struggled with anxiety my whole entire life. My whole entire life. It is not easy. It is hard. And I've come to find out that God has used it in my life to help me find out and learn more about him. So if you let me, I'd like to get practical with y'all for a reason. Excuse me, for a moment. When anxiety hits, this is what I do. And I encourage you to write this down if you feel like it would be beneficial to you. I say to myself, I first say to myself, okay, anxiety hits. I say to myself, who is God? Always start there. Who is God? I remind myself that, man, God is without origin. He's self-existing. He never changes. He has no needs. He is all-powerful. He's always everywhere. He is full of perfect, unchanging wisdom. He is faithful. He is good. He is just. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is loving. He is glorious, beautiful, and great, and he is holy. That's where I start. I don't start with me. I start with him. And once I'm reminded of who God is, then I move on to this. First I say, who is God? Then I'm reminded, or I remind myself, who am I in Christ? Man, in Christ, I'm dead to sin. I'm spiritually alive. I'm God's possession. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm free from the desires of the flesh. I'm declared blameless and innocent. I am cleansed from sin. I am secure in him. I am at peace with God, and I am loved by God. Then I remember what God's promises are to me, told to me through scripture. Who is God? Who am I in Christ? All right, 
Now, what are his promises to me? When anxiety strikes, when I have to give a presentation, I teach for a living, by the way. I hate giving presentations. I see what you did there, God. When anxiety strikes, okay, when I have to give a presentation or when I have to be out in front, when I have to be in, on center stage, I'm reminded this promise, Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. And when I fear I'm going to lose my job, that is a fear. That is a fear. A lot of us don't ever articulate that, but that is a fear. When I fear that I'm going to lose my job and I'm going to let my family down, I go to this promise. I go to Isaiah 55:11. So shall my word, so shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it will not come back to me empty, but accomplish that which I purpose and prosper in the thing for which I sent it. When I have anxiety that I'm, not, that I'm not good enough, I get this one a lot too, that I'm not good enough and that others are more equipped than me, I can turn to the promises of Christ when he says in 2 Corinthians, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Or Deuteronomy, as your days, as your days, so shall your strength be. For those, of that, for those of us who have families, when I'm anxious about my kids succeeding in life, or counseling others, or having difficult conversations with my bride, I turn to this promise in Psalm 32. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And I'm worried about what others think about me or about being bullied. I can turn to the promise in Romans 8. If God is for us, who can then be against us? And when I get sad and fearful of thinking that I'm going to lose my parents, or if one of my friends pass away, or my sibling passes away, or my bride passes away, I go straight to Romans 14. None of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and the living. Now that I'm reminded of who God is and what his promises are, I sit on the edge of my bed, or I sit wherever I am, in the coffee shop or in the closet, or wherever I've hid, and I said, okay, God, I'm reminded of who you are. I'm reminded of who I am in you. I'm reminded of your promises. Do I believe them? Do I believe them? Now my direction turns to the Lord in prayer praying to believe in the midst of my unbelief, asking for forgiveness, confessing where I have sinned and turning away from my sin in an act of repentance and turning towards God, following the simple commands that Jesus has laid out for each of us in Matthew 4 and Luke 13 to repent. Man, 
I trust in the Lord that he will hear my cries because of the promises that he has given me and because of the belief that he has allowed me to have. As one pastor has put it so wonderfully, he says that the greatest good God offers the greatest action, love, to the greatest need, wrath and sinners, by sending the greatest treasure, Jesus, and the greatest invitation to everyone in the greatest life everlasting. Amen. Man, and when I do all of this, when I do all of this, when I follow all of this, and this is just for me, hope it can be encouraging to you, but when I, when I follow all of this, you know what happens? Like David, when I relinquish control to the Lord, so goes my anxiety. So goes my anxiety. Verse 3 of Psalm 131 says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. If we place our hope in the Lord and not ourselves or this world, when we let go of that grip that we think that we're in control of and give everything up to the Lord, then we're going to find our contentment in him. Recognizing God for who he is and repeating his truths over and over will give us a calm and quiet soul like a weaned child with its mother. Why in our sojourning do we need a song like this? Why do we need to repeat Psalm 131 over and over again? It's because we live in a broken world. And there will be temptations. And when we're faced with those temptations, and we will be, we can either trust in ourselves, or we can place our trust and our hope in God. Sojourn. Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. You know, as we come to the table, we remember the greatness of who Jesus is. We remember the fact that we can give him, we can give him this control because he deserves, he deserves the, uh, the recognition. He deserves the worthy, he deserves the praise. And we're reminded of what he's done for us. We remember that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink my cup, excuse me, drink the, drink the cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Sojourn, communion, okay, communion is for anyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if this is your first time at church or you're a regular attender. If you've put your faith in Jesus, then please join us in communion. Come and have your faith renewed. Let this expression of obedience and faith be a reminder to you that we need to bow before the Lord. And if you're struggling this morning and you don't want to come up right away and you need to send some, spend some time in your seat praying, that's awesome. I encourage you to do so. I invite you to sit in your seat and go before the Lord. And if you need someone to pray for you, I'd invite someone sitting to the left of me, sitting to the right of me, sitting behind me, or sitting in front of me. 
Let them know that you're hurting. Let them know what you specifically need prayer for. And if you've not accepted Christ, I want to invite you to take this time and to stay in your seat and reflect on the truths of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins, rose again, eternally triumphant over all of his enemies, so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. You see, taking communion is a declaration that Jesus is our only hope. And for that, we can rejoice, and for that, we can find peace. We'd love to tell you more about Jesus, so let us share the gospel with you as it's been shared with us. Those of you who are taking communion, we have some stations in the back. We have some station in the front. Whenever you're ready, please come forward, tear off a piece of bread, grab a cup, then you can um, return to your seat and eat and drink. And if you're unable to take communion or if you need some assistance, please let one of our church members know and they can bring it to you. Sojourn hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let us pray. Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are, heavy, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So to remember that we come not because we ought, but because we may. Not because we are righteous, but because we are penitent. Not because we are strong, but because we are weak. Not because we are whole, but because we are broken. Come, for the Lord has prepared his table for all who love him and trust in him alone for their salvation. All who are truly sorry for their sins, who sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus as their Savior, and who, desi- and who desire to live in obedience to him as Lord, are now invited to come with gladness to the table of the Lord. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.